0: If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and key stage one education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode I'm joined by my colleague Luella Ivans as we discuss the real benefits of using continuous provision as part of Key Stage 1 practice. And if this episode gets you thinking and you want to know more, well our Early Excellence Guide to Continuous Provision is packed with great advice and supportive materials. So... Where can you find out more about that? Well, we'll put, um, we'll put a link in the information to the podcast so that you can, you can click on it and it'll take you straight to the information about our guide to continuous provision in Key Stage 1. OK, so in terms of this episode, here's Luella and I as we explore the importance of continuity, meaningful learning, the characteristics of effective learning and embedding learning over time. All fantastic potential benefits of using continuous provision effectively in Key Stage 1.
1: So this week we're going to be talking all about um, Key Stage 1 and continuous provision. Um, because I think over over the course of the last year, really, we've seen lots and lots of schools starting to take on continuous provision in Key Stage 1 um, for a whole variety of reasons, I guess. Perhaps it could be the impact of um, the pandemic. It might be that um you know, researchers come to the forefront about continuous provision in year one and the way in which children learn um before the age of seven. so there could be lots of different reasons why you and your school might be taking on or thinking about continuous provision in key stage one and um, so we thought today myself and Andy would talk about some of those um some of those kind of positives, those benefits to using um, continuous provision in key stage one. And we thought we'd talk about some of the, um, the slight pitfalls that there might be if we're not careful. So we just wanted to talk about what continuous provision in year one and year two looks like, what it could look like, and how you can do this really, really effectively. So Thinking then about some of those um, benefits of using continuous provision in key stage one, as I mentioned, I think it's a it's a good time really to start thinking about it. If you are wanting to really support children who perhaps over the lockdown in the last few years have missed out on some of that crucial early learning, and it might be that you have children coming into your key stage one who are still you know needing to learn in that very hands-on concrete way um and actually there are there's lots of research out there that shows that you know between birth and age 7 children need to be learning in a very hands-on way it's real active learning that they need in order to make those connections in the brain and to really harness the learning that's in front of them really and it's then from kind of age seven onwards where children can start to understand a little bit more in the abstract so I think as this research is kind of becoming more widely spread I think people are starting to to see that actually children do learn in this way and actually once we provide opportunities for children to get really hands-on with their learning and start to grapple with learning in a very different way we start to find that children make really good progress Um, not just academically but socially um, and progress in in the characteristics of effective learning and the way in which they learn as well so I think we're starting to see a shift. We're starting to see lots of schools becoming interested in continuous provision in Key Stage 1. And as I say, that could be for many reasons. Um, So Andy, in terms of kind of some of the benefits um, for starting to use continuous provision in Key Stage 1, what would you say are those kind of top benefits um, and reasons to do it, really?
0: Well, I I think having continuous provision in Key Stage 1 particularly for children, when you think that children are coming out of reception and having got so used to working in a particular way, having materials and resources that they can access, being able to have their own ideas, carry those ideas out. I think it seems like such an odd decision sometimes to completely move away from that when the children are, what? Well, they're six weeks older than they were at the end of reception. You know, they've had the six week holiday. And to expect them to just kind of quite often literally change the way that they go about learning within that six week break and to come back and really operate in a completely different way to me seems odd, I think, really. And it doesn't really help take children from where they're at at the end of reception and to build on that if the approach is completely different. So, I think one of the benefits is that continuity. You know, we know that lots of children, or certainly some children, will be, will be coming to the end of reception not having achieved those early learning goals. There'll be some children in any year group who, who, for whatever reason, are not yet at that point where they've achieved those early learning goals. And I think a key question's got to be, well, actually in year one, how are we meeting the needs of those children? How are we ensuring that they do get to that point? Do staff have that understanding of child development and what those young children need? So continuity, I think, is a really crucial benefit to using continuous provision in key stage one. But then alongside that, I think one of the other things that I think is is also crucial is, is that continuous provision gives the opportunity for for embedding learning over time in a way that more directed teaching often doesn't, so continuous provision where it works well kind of is is balanced and we we'll, we're going to talk about that balance later on aren't we but but that balance the effective continuous provision and practice with continuous provision in key stage one is very much a balance where we have the directed teaching and continuous provision really working hand in hand and this enables what you're teaching to be embedded over time It it enables what you're teaching to be seen as meaningful that you're teaching a skill and then they're using that skill whereas of course when learning is not seen as meaningful if it's not seen as something that we know why we're learning it or what we're learning it for usually that learning is fairly short-lived. And so when Ofsted talk about that that embedding learning over time or when something is properly learned, it's been embedded over time, I think continuous provision actually fits really well with that. You know, really well thought out and well-used continuous provision really fits well with that idea. So definitely lots of benefits, I think um then i think and so and you're absolutely right you know lots of schools are are really looking into this you know i've visited lots of schools and settings um lots of places where teachers are talking about how actually for whatever reason like you said whether that be the lockdown or whether that be uh whether it be that kind of i suppose reflective practice that's leading you into thinking about it or whether it's or whether it be the kind of the e y f s framework and that discussion around effective transition however why for whatever reason that you're looking into it, I think it's certainly well worth doing. I think if you're going to do it, you've got to have a very clear vision for what it's going to be like though because Absolutely because it's quite it can be quite a challenge i think if your school isn't used to having continuous provision in key stage one i think it will there will be a concern that what you are what you're doing is potentially the same as what they're doing in reception so potentially there's a there's a There's a concern that there's a lack of challenge there, that actually key stage one practice should be different to reception, not the same as reception. Okay, so we need to be kind of prepared for that, really. We need to think about, well, what's the answer to that? You know, because if we're not prepared for that, then we could be flawed by that kind of argument, I think. Um, So we've also got to have a clear vision, actually, about how this is going to work it can't be the same as reception you know it really doesn't need to be and shouldn't be the same when we're talking about continuous provision that's not the same as what the children are getting in reception it's not just a continuation of it i think when we do that when we when we try to give the children really the same experiences that they had in reception i think that does leave us open to criticism and and really probably quite rightly so um we are talking about more challenge. We are talking about the same approach or an approach that's built on reception. But it's not reception mark two, I think, is something we've got to think about. So creating a clear vision, I think that's crucial. So let's start with what you, wo- what you would see. I think that's probably the best place to start. Let's start with what you would see. What would you see when you walk into a... a, a key stage one or a year one classroom where they have got continuous provision? Well, to a certain extent, this varies quite a bit from school to school. There are some schools, in fact, there's a school that I've been working with fairly recently in terms of designing and room planning, where they have created continuous provision right the way across their year one classrooms using every single space available for continuous provision. And of course, that's great. At the same time, there will be other schools and settings that I've worked with where actually they're talking about needing spaces for tables for the children to sit at, for group work, for other, for the, for other purposes at, during the day. And that realistically, we're looking at maybe three areas of provision. And those three areas of provision will be perhaps around the edge of the room or into into some of the corners of the room, using up spaces that probably wouldn't be used for the more directed teaching. And of course, there's no right or wrong way, you know, with with either of those two, two, um, two kind of models, really, of creating continuous provision, there's no right or wrong way. Um, I think if you're just starting with continuous provision, it probably makes sense to go for a, a kind of a almost like a trial period, really, of having a few areas that you've created, that you know why you've got these areas, not others, that you have a clear understanding of what materials and resources you're offering and how you're going to get the most out of them. So in terms of what it looks like, it, it, in terms of numbers of provision areas, that would be completely up to you. In terms of what it looks like in the room, we would be looking to create certain use certain spaces to create different bays or, or different corners. So creating spaces where children can access their own materials. And that's quite a big thing to think about if you're not used if you're not used to doing that, or if you haven't done that previously. So you'll need to think about the furniture that you're that you're using, that you're offering. Um so ideally, trying to offer furniture where children can access the materials themselves, I think, is important. They'll be used to that model from coming from reception. They'll be used to accessing materials. So how are you going to set things out so that they can access them so you can kind of carry on with that? Um. Now, if in terms of your classroom environment, if you're not used to having that, then you might have... Furniture that doesn't lend itself brilliantly to children accessing materials. So you might want to look at what you do have and whether you can use it in different ways. So, for example, if you've got drawer units, um, not offering every single drawer full of lots of resources, but instead perhaps using a row of drawers and then leaving two or three drawers gap in between each one so that you're kind of creating more like shelves really, using the drawers, so that it means that there's a gap above every set of drawers, every, every row of drawers. It means that children can see into them, they're much more likely to access them then, they're much more likely to use the materials and know that they can use them independently. So thinking about what furniture you have, thinking about how you use it in terms of continuous provision I think will be important. It's also important to understand I think the key principles of continuous provision and that is that we are offering these resources that we're talking about we're offering them throughout the year that there needs to be resources that children know that they're available and then they can come back to those materials they can come back to using them and they develop an understanding of how to get the most out of those resources over time. If you are looking at prioritizing so thinking about a few areas within your room then where would we start well a book area definitely maybe a books and puppets area would work really well a small construction area facing perhaps onto the carpet space so that that carpet space can become a small construction area a blocks and small world area might be quite an interesting area to look at as well lots of opportunities there for storytelling and story mapping that will link to what you're going to be covering during your your time in key stage one and there are other areas too I mean you you could keep going you know so role play for example probably not domestic role play although following on from the pandemic certainly in key stage one some some schools that I've worked with did it introduce domestic role-play, and they did it really successfully. But generally speaking, in Key Stage 1, we'd be looking at something that would build on the domestic role-play. So not be the same again, but be perhaps a shop, or uh, a dentist, or a doctor's surgery. Something that would fit, again, something that would fit with what it is you're wanting your children to be learning within that space okay Um, so different areas again and also alongside that a writing area and a maths area both of which of course will have tables in so it can be used for group table work as well as perhaps for other opportunities independently and maybe for setting challenges or for other activities too and you can go as far as you like with that depending on how comfortable you feel or how much space that you've got you can kind of try out different spaces like that okay but I think my main advice if you're just getting started would be just kind of start small think about a few areas done really well don't let it run away with you get that up and running and then use the same kind of principles as you maybe think about other areas building on that okay so that's the case of kind of that's what it would look like um what about how you would use it um now this again is something that we've got to be quite careful with because it's a bit of a pitfall um how you would use it what do you um how would you explain how would you go about using um your provision within key stage one luella
1: um you know building on what you you've just been saying there i think it's really important that Within when we're bringing continuous provision into key stage one, we're not seeing it as um, something that perhaps children do when they finish their table work. So it's not a bolt on. It's not something that's extra. It's not um, a holding activity that children go and do once they finish that directed activity. Actually. You know, different pedagogical approaches in Key Stage 1 will be used and it's important we use a variety of pedagogical approaches. Um, So, you know, your children will be, um, they will be receiving some direct instruction, um, perhaps, you know, a phonics lesson or they might be having a group session about a specific skill like um, map skills, as an example. They might be doing some adult led activities um, where perhaps adults are delivering objective led learning within the realms of the provision with groups of children, perhaps. Um, But then also children will be in the provision and should be in the provision, accessing child initiated and inquiry based learning as well. So we don't want to just see continuous provision as a bolt on And something that we do once we finish our directed activity and we don't want to see it as a holding activity that perhaps children do whilst they're waiting to do their directed activity or their small group work with their adult. But we want to see it as and we should be seeing it as an opportunity in its own right for children to explore, to enquire. And if we think about the characteristics of effective teaching and learning from the early years, we know that they are effective and they underpin everything that's done in the early years. And fundamentally, they are based in the science of how children learn. So when it comes to Key Stage 1, I think it's really important that we acknowledge those characteristics of effective learning. And they're there, so we should use them, because why would we not use them when they're such a great tool in the early years? and actually think about how we can build on this in Key Stage 1 to really guide and support our learning spaces and our pedagogical approaches because inquiry based learning, such as continuous provision in in Key Stage one inquiry enquiry-based learning isn't new. You know, it builds on children's prior knowledge and their exploration skills and it also allows them to take ownership of their own learning and find things out for themselves. So if we if we narrow continuous provision down to something that you only do when you've finished your activity what we're then doing is saying actually there's less value in the continuous provision and the children will then start to see the continuous provision as play and they won't start to see it as a, a teaching tool in its own right and a place where they can learn enquire and explore in their own right. So I think it is really important that we that we see it as a teaching tool. And with that, as Andy was talking about, we plan the environment so that it is a really effective place for children to learn and a place for children to be. Um, so when it comes to thinking about the principles of continuous provision in, in early years and how it's different in key stage one, I often think it can be quite tempting to assume that if we apply the same principles, it will work in the same way. But I always think you have to put more thought into it in Key Stage 1. You have to think about how do you level up that complexity of the environment so that children are really challenged in Key Stage 1 and learn those new skills that are required of them at this new stage of their, their learning journey. So our environments, be that the physical environment and, the, you know, emotional environment of the classroom, it must support key stage one teaching and learning. And obviously it must support those overall national curriculum objectives as well. So it is really important that we think about those things when we plan the environment and when we, we plan for our kind of weekly learning as well. So thinking about something, um, Andy, you mentioned the small construction area um thinking about something yeah. like that i think you know there's nothing you can't do in the con- that you can do in the construction area that you can't do elsewhere so things like stacking bridging joining um and actually it can be tempting to think that because of that we don't need it in a key stage 1 classroom um but actually that doesn't mean there isn't a place for small construction in key stage 1 because small construction does so much more than just stacking, bridging, joining, and connecting. You know, when it comes to key stage one, small construction provides lots of facilitative skills. So it provides things like opportunities for exploring force and motion, opportunities for exploring symmetry, scale, measure, um, also opportunities for for kind of cognitive strategies and and those PSED skills so when it comes to key stage one we want children to be learning to be able to negotiate learning how to share things out Uh, you know you could go on looking at each area and thinking about those skills that it provides so what I would say is don't limit what you're providing and don't think about it with an early years cap on although we're using those same principles that we would apply in the early years to key stage one um, practice we're also doing that with our key stage one and national curriculum cap on as well so we're thinking about how we can use key areas of our environment with real careful planning to ensure that children develop those required skills from the curriculum and also those required skills that they maybe haven't yet um, got to perhaps where they haven't maybe met some of the early learning goals so I think the key message from me here in terms of how it's different in terms of practice would be when it comes to key stage one, you want to be thinking about the end outcome that you want the children to achieve when you are planning and setting up that environment. And you also want to think about the, the real crucial aspect that is developing independence because that's something that we need to be working on in key stage 1 to ensure that that you know there is an end point where children do move through this and and as we mentioned at the start of this podcast you know the research that shows that actually from the age of 7 children can start to learn more in the abstract um, we want to be increasing children's independence so that when they get to that point where they're starting to learn in the abstract a little bit more, you know, perhaps in at the end of year two into year three, that they have got all of those real independent skills that support children to, to you know, carry out that self-directed learning, really. So those skills like um, the ability to kind of self-monitor and, and peer assess each other those um, ability to use language of learning and talk about what they're doing and explain things, Um, collaboration skills, setting your own goals, all those sorts of things are things that children will be learning through the use of continuous provision in Key Stage 1. But as Andy mentioned earlier, it doesn't just happen on its own. These are things we have to be teaching. Um, and if we, I know Andy mentioned that idea of if we're not careful we can open ourselves up to criticism if we don't get continuous provision right so I think it is really important we think of all those things that we want continuous provision to provide for our children but we make sure that we are teaching those aspects as well because it doesn't just happen through osmosis (laughs) would you agree Andy?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, yeah, hundred percent. All of the things that you were saying, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I, I was just thinking just before you were saying about that. Um, the I th- I think that issue with if if continuous provision is only ever seen as a a kind of a, a holding tool or something that you do when you finished your work, the danger there, I think, is that some children who really need it get less of it. Absolutely. In that, you know, I'm picturing, you know, typically picturing, you know, a, a child who might really struggle with a writing task, and they're the last to finish the writing task. Meanwhile, every other child in the class has had had the opportunity to go off and explore using the small world and the block play to create all sorts of story settings, all kinds of different things. Really useful opportunities, I think, or would have been useful opportunities for that child to have developed a confidence in story writing and storytelling, and potentially that, that gets missed. So I, I do think we've got to be really careful with that. And, and you're absolutely right, challenge and progression are key. I think as a starting point, although we're not just of course creating Reception Mark two as we said before, as a starting point, it is quite a useful thing to go to the reception staff and to ask them what they have available in those different areas of the room. So what does it look like? What what does construction look like in reception? What does it what does the small world and blocks area look like in reception? Um, what does it look what what do the, does the book area look like? What does it have within it? All of those different sorts of things. Then having an understanding of actually what of those materials and opportunities haven't outlived their time, if you like, or uh, that we haven't. Um, which which resources have maybe kind of had their day by the end of reception. So, for example, Mobilo. Usually by the end of reception, children have made um, everything they can possibly make with Mobilo and they've made vehicles with like a million wheels attached to the bottom. and They've done all sorts of things and had a great time with it. Do we need to keep it going into Key Stage 1? No, I don't think we do. I think it's probably had its day. But knowing that I think is important, knowing that actually you're going to offer what's going to be the you're going to be thinking about what's going to be the next thing then. What what resource kit for small construction will build on what they have been doing in reception whilst whilst challenging them more, giving them more opportunities to develop physically, to make links, to make connections to offer opportunities, like you said before, for mathematics um, in terms of shape and space and measures and all sorts of different things. What will be the kit that will build on, literally build on the learning from reception in that area? And it's that level of detail that I think is really important, whether you're talking about small construction or the maths area or the blocks and small world or the role play or whichever area we're talking about. It's got to be the materials and resources have really got to earn their place. We say that a lot in terms of early years practice, and it's it's very much the same principle for key stage one. When we're talking about continuous provision, it's got to be planned for. It's got to be really carefully thought through and planned for. It can't be just these are the resources we've got, so that's what's here. Got to be really thought, really carefully thought through in terms of what you're offering, but also how it's going to fit into your timetable, how it's going to fit into your day, how you're going to use it in terms of teaching. um So yeah, lots to think about. Lots, certainly lots to think about. um We were going to mention as well challenges, weren't we? Do you want to do you want to have say a word
1: or two about challenges, Luella? Yeah, I think uh, there's been lots of conversations on social media and things around. Um, kind of challenges or, or, you know, rainbow challenges or learning jobs in key stage one. And I think it's a it's a really interesting conversation and I think there's a real place for them. And it's important that, you know, we will have lots of adult directed, objective led, driven um, things that we want children to be achieving in key stage one. And where um, things slightly change in key stage one is that we do need to be thinking with the national curriculum objectives in mind. Um, So absolutely offering challenges that link to specific uh, national curriculum objectives that will really help encourage children. Um, But what I would say is don't have too many, Um, you know, two or three challenges or some people do, uh, you know, three or four challenges a week um, that all children have to do by the end of the week, Um, but build it up over time. Because if this isn't something that's done in the early years at your school, it will take children a while to um, get to grips with that and how they can do their challenges alongside their child initiated learning. Um, And also think about how that fits in with your adult directed learning as well. So if you have adult directed sessions, but you have lots and lots of those, then you probably want to limit the amount of challenges you're setting as well, because what The kind of the pitfall around this would be if we have lots and lots of adult directed time, such as phonics, maths, writing, topic, um, and then we have, say, five challenges that link to all of those subjects as well what we can be left with sometimes there is no time for children to explore and learn through the provision and go down their own interests and lines of inquiry. And of course, if we're saying that that's really valuable, then we want to have time for that as well. So whilst I would say challenges are a really good way of getting children, perhaps children who don't always want to do certain things, and we know who those children might be in our classrooms, um, but you may have children that are reluctant mathematicians, but actually you do you do need to see if, if they are understanding what's been taught and you do want to give them opportunities to practice, consolidate and rehearse. And if they don't access the maths area in your classroom so much, then challenges can be a good opportunity um, to see what they know and to also... Give them a bit of an incentive to do something because it's exciting. You want to complete the challenges, especially if there's a little reward at the end of it all. So thinking about challenges, I think there's a real place for them. It allows children to take a bit of ownership over their learning. And it fits in with that nice idea of increasing independence in the early years. Um, But it does come with a bit of a caveat, uh, you know, around spending lots and lots of time on challenges and direct teaching might end up leaving your continuous provision as that kind of holding activity or extension activity, which is what we're, we're kind of wanting to come away from. So I think that a combination really of that kind of experiential learning in the provision and direct teaching will be really important in your key stage one. Um, and obviously, as learning becomes more complex and lots of skills will need to be taught explicitly, um so I think it's it's important to think about how that all fits together. And it might be that over the year, the balance around directed activities, adult led challenges or guided challenges and um, exploration and continuous provision learning, that balance might shift over the year. And I think that that's perfectly fine as well. And it would probably shift between year one and year two as well.
0: That's fantastic. Super. Um, what about that idea of people want if if you're just starting off on this journey of continuous provision, it is important to get it right. You know, you don't you don't get the opportunity, I think, to try it not get it right, then have another go go, and keep trying. trying. I think usually usually, in schools, it's pretty high high stakes, isn't it? I I think think if you're going to do it, you've really got to think it through carefully and and get get it it right. right. And so so, um, because of that, I would certainly recommend reading up on it. I would certainly recommend really really doing your own research research, really and finding out as much as you can can about about it um Um, both in terms of from other other teachers that you perhaps know know, or from online or connecting with people on social media but also from reading as well so um certainly recommend the book by julie fisher julie fisher's written lots of different books that are all fantastic um moving on to key stage one by julie fisher certainly recommend that as a good starting point lots of really practical advice lots of research driven information there that you can really use to kind of back up your reasoning for why it is you want to move towards continuous provision within your classroom so that's a really good starting point um there's also lots of information that we've put out there as well um some of it free some of it to purchase so for example in terms of to purchase we've got our our Key Stage 1 Continuous Provision Guide, which, if you're interested, you'll find more information on our website all about it. If you go to earlyexcellence.com, go to Ideas & Inspiration, within there you'll find information about our Continuous Provision Guide. And it includes lots of information about what resources to offer in terms of continuous provision in Key Stage 1, how to organise those resources, the key principles around those materials and those resources, but also really how to make sure, to ensure that you are challenging your children through using those materials. Okay, so lots to get your teeth into there really. Um, And then in terms of free resources, again, there are lots of free resources too. So go onto the Early Excellence website, go to Ideas and Inspiration. There's a, a section called Ideas and Inspiration. In there, you will find there's a free training videos section and um, there's a, con- a, a uh, key stage one continuous provision training video um, that's been presented by our colleague Nova, Nova Robinson. You'll find that there. There are also key stage one audits and audit tools and planning tools as well that you can access through the website as well. Um, and if you want to connect with other people, then... I would certainly recommend that you get in touch with us via the Facebook group. We have an Early Excellence Facebook group, and it's a real hub, a real hub of conversation and discussion, both in terms of early years and in terms of Key Stage 1 practice as well. Lots of people asking questions, lots of people wondering and figuring things out, thinking about their practice for September, all sorts of different things. So well, a really good platform, I think, to be able to then share ideas and connect with other teachers who perhaps will be in a similar position. Okay. Anything to add to that, Luella, before we finish?
1: No, I think that's all fantastic. And what we would say is good luck with it um, and do get in touch if we can um, be of any more help with your uh, introduction of continuous provision into Key Stage One. It's all very exciting.
0: And there you go, lots to think about there. Certainly it's something that I'm really aware of, as Luella mentioned as well, that lots of schools are really thinking about and talking about key stage one practice and what it needs to look like. Um, it's something that came up, of course, in one of the earlier podcasts, podcast episodes when we talked to um, James Hitchens from Penryn School about that idea of of their year one practice and how that had been developed over time it's certainly something that's coming up more and more um if in your school you're just getting started with talking about continuous provision in key stage one maybe you've never had it before and just starting to tentatively talk about it it's well worth knowing that we've got two free key stage one videos on our early excellence website that i think are perfect for getting that conversation started perfect for prompting conversations and discussions with your key stage one team and also potentially with your senior leadership team so again as normal we'll put the link to those free training videos we'll put it in the podcast information so you can go straight to it but i think you'll definitely find that useful um that's about it for this week thank you very much for joining us everybody and we will see you next week